Senator John Kennedy tackles impeachment and Iran. Sebastian Borker on restoring America from the inside out. And Carla Cook performs her father's classic. That's Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. And I'm your announcer, Keith Wilbur. And now, here's Mike Huckabee! Thank you very much. Well, it has been really tough coming up with material for tonight's monologue. I mean, it's been such a slow news week, right? Whoa. Well, a few things did happen. Comedian Ricky Gervais emceed the Golden Globe Awards last Sunday night, but he did it with a flamethrower instead of a microphone. He roasted Hollywood elites right to their heavily made-up faces in a searing monologue that exposed their hypocrisy for riding around in limos and private jets and then lecturing the rest of us about so much as driving a mommy van to carpool the kids. <laughs> he reminded those Hollywood folks that most of them had been in school for less time than the angry European teenager Greta Thunberg. <laughs> and then he actually told them that they didn't really know much of anything, that they were actors, not experts on anything. And if they won a Golden Globe Award, they should not give a political speech, just get up, accept their award, and shut up. <laughs> Hollywood. <laughs> Hollywood hated it, but America loved it. Then, following a vicious attack on one of our military bases, resulting in the death of one American and injuries to four others, there was an assault on the American embassy in Baghdad. A few days later, President Trump ordered a strike on the car driving Iranian mass murderer Qasem Soleimani from the Baghdad airport. Now, it was obvious and intelligence confirmed that Soleimani wasn't headed to the drive-through of Sonic Drive-In. He was headed to create more mayhem and to target more Americans to kill. He had been personally responsible for the direct deaths of over 700 Americans, thousands of American servicemen and women coming home without arms or legs or eyes because of the IEDs that he provided. He was actually ordered by the UN back in 2011 to not even leave Iran. And there he was, responsible for the murders of thousands of Iranian citizens who did not bow to the bloodthirsty iron rule of the Ayatollah. Shockingly, every Democrat in Washington, except for former Senator Joe Lieberman, immediately condemned not the Iranian terrorist, but President Trump. You can't make this stuff up. Now, when President Obama ordered the strike to kill Osama bin Laden, I can't remember one Republican who took bin Laden's side of the deal. I certainly didn't. I was on TV, as was every Republican I know, to praise President Obama for taking the action to put an end to the monster who orchestrated the 9-11 attack on America. And, and to no one's surprise, former NFL player Colin Kaepernick, or Colin, however you want to call him, 
who made a fortune playing a game and who turned into an anti-American flag-hating whiner, he took Iran's side. Someone wondered when Nike is going to come out with a shoe to honor Soleimani. Now, I call him Colin Kaepernick because I think he's full of the same stuff my colon is full of. That's just my thought. Uh, we'll see if that gets edited out. Could be. By the way, you remember when Nancy Pelosi said the impeachment of President Trump was so urgent that the House couldn't wait one more day because the country was at risk? Yeah, that was over three weeks ago. It hasn't been too urgent since. But I got to tell you, I think it's unfair to accuse Nancy Pelosi of looking foolish and dishonest for saying it was urgent to impeach President Trump and then sit on those articles of impeachment like a hen would sit on an egg. She isn't holding the articles. She just forgot where she put them. And in another big story, Prince Harry and Princess Meghan have said they don't want to be royal anymore. They just want to be commoners. I'm thinking about starting a GoFundMe page for them so they can set up <laughs> housekeeping. Maybe get them a small apartment like most couples do and get jobs where they have to show up and work every day. And by the way, if you're from the South like I am, you might want to help me put together an old-fashioned pounding so we can get their kitchen stocked with some sugar and salt and lard and flour and cornmeal. How many of you remember an old-fashioned pounding? And not the kind where they beat you up. Well, other than that, just hasn't been much going on. So maybe next week we'll have some big topics to talk about. My first guest is a Republican senator from Louisiana, and he's also a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee. He's going to have a role in the upcoming impeachment trial of President Trump, which could start as early as next week. Joining me from Baton Rouge is Senator John Kennedy. Senator, I'm delighted to have you, and I'm going to get right into this whole discussion of impeachment. Um, does, does anyone have any idea how this is going to go? Once we get the articles of impeachment and, and uh, the, the, the requisite notices and that sort of thing are taken care of, um, we will do the, the, uh, the, the impeachment hearings in three phases, maybe only two. Number one, an equal amount of time will be given both to the prosecution and to the defense to present their cases. Then we'll have a, a, a large amount of time devoted to questions by senators. And at that point, we will step back, as we did in the, the uh, President Clinton's impeachment proceedings, and decide whether we've heard enough or whether we need additional testimony. Um, no fair-minded person can look at what happened in the House and think that the President was afforded due process. I mean, Speaker Pelosi's attitude the entire time was that she was going to give the president a fair and impartial firing squad. <laughs> It'll be different in the Senate. And uh, I don't want the American people to say, well, we were just run over by the same truck twice. It was unfair in the House and it was unfair in the Senate. I want them to say it was a fair process in the Senate. You've made the statement that this whole process of impeachment is not just dumb, it's dangerous. What's dangerous about it? 
Well, the speaker has basically normalized impeachment as a routine political weapon. Now, as, as you know, Governor, our country's fairly evenly split. Uh, someday we'll have a Democratic president. I don't know when that will be, but, but it'll happen. And half of the country will be disappointed. And I can assure you that many of those in that disappointed half will be saying to Congress, well, impeach the new president. You did it to Trump. Now, let's be fair. Do, do, it, to the, do it to the new president. From day one, Speaker Pelosi's judicial philosophy and Chairman Schiff and Chairman Nadler, their judicial philosophy was guilty, and that's not right. When it comes to the Senate, there's been talk, well, we want to have a whole bunch of uh, new evidence introduced. Others have argued that the introduction of evidence should have been done in the House. That's where the case was made. Well, the, the Constitution's pretty clear. Section 2 of Article 1 says that the House has the authority to impeach. Uh, section 3 says that the Senate tries the case. We have not said we will not consider new witnesses and new evidence. What we have said in the Senate is that uh, we're going to hear the evidence, the record, developed by the House first. We, we want to we respect the Constitution. We want to be fair to the prosecution. But we want to be fair to the President. Imagine, Governor, if I were a prosecutor and I were prosecuting you for a felony, and of course that would never happen. But, but I went to the judge and I said, you know, Judge, we know the governor's guilty, so I want you to, to instruct him and the court that uh, he can't have any witnesses, he can't cross-examine my witnesses, he can't offer any evidence. In fact, I don't want even to have his lawyer in the courtroom. Now, that federal judge would look at me, and he'd give me a choice. He'd say, Kennedy, I'll either put you in jail or in a straitjacket. Get out of my court. And that's what Speaker Pelosi did to the president. Yeah. Right now, one of the uh, controversies, in addition to impeachment, is whether the president acted illegally in uh, ordering the strike on Soleimani. Is there any doubt in your mind that the president had the legal authority to do what he did? Not only did he have the legal authority... He had the moral authority. Now, I came from a briefing. Let me, a, lot of, a lot has been said about the briefing. We were briefed, all, all senators. Any fair-minded American would have walked away from that briefing um, with, with three conclusions. Number one, the president did the right thing. He had no choice if you care about American lives, if you care about life in general. Number two, America is safer today because of what he did. And number three, that our, our intelligence community, our uh, uh, military, they're the best in all of human history. I was so impressed with the presentation. And the United States of America, and indeed the world, is safer today without Soleimani in it. Well, you have just reminded me, Senator, why I am so very grateful to God that you are in the United States, Senator. Uh, thank you, Senator John Kennedy. And I want to tell oh, our audience... You, you can find Senator Kennedy on social media at S-E-N John Kennedy. You can sign up for the Senator's newsletter at kennedy.senate.gov. Now, if you'd like more of my analysis on the news, including a deeper dive into Iran, and my thoughts on the newest Girl Scout cookie feminist flavor, drop by Huckabee.tv and click on After the Show for my Facts of the Matter segment that'll be waiting for you. Well, Keith Bilbrey is strapped to his podium 
We did that so he doesn't bother our audience, but he's still going to tell us what we've got on the show tonight. Well, coming up, country music's John Rich, plus military expert Sebastian Gorka, then acclaimed men's author Brian Tone, and soul singer Carla Cook celebrates the music of her father, Sam Cook, on Huckabee. Next week, Alveda King and Father Frank Pavone stand for life and come swing to the latest music from Debbie Boone. All right, welcome back and a big hand for Trey Corley and the Music City Connection. They are the best band in the land and I say that because it's true. Well, from driving a giant sausage down the road to odd newspaper headlines, We've got the stories that'll make you yell hot dog on a segment we call In Case You Missed It. All right, here's the ultimate dream job for someone with driving ambition, to drive the Wienermobile. And no, I don't mean being Adam Schiff's chauffeur, okay? <laughs> Oscar Mayer is actually advertising online for six hot doggers to drive their iconic giant hot dog vehicle across America to meet the public. I said to meet the public and promote the brand of Oscar Mayer. Ideal applicants will have a degree in advertising, public relations, or journalism. Funny, I was just thinking I know a lot of journalists who are a bunch of hot dogs and ought to be driving the Wienermobile instead of reporting the news. So folks, to be frank, if you're tired of the pickle you're in and you've mustered up the courage to take on a job that you can really relish, then get your buns over to oscarmeyer.com and become the captain of your own sausage on wheels. Yes, moving on. Elizabeth Hode is preparing to celebrate a half year of wedding bliss with her dog. Not kidding, last summer, the former British swimsuit model decided to trot the aisle with her beloved golden retriever, Logan, after a long list of disappointing dates, 221 disappointing dates at last count. Now, the story definitely redefines the term heavy petting. Uh, Governor? Yeah, Keith? Did, did you hear this one? A dog walked into a job center. What? Of course, the guy behind the desk said, wow, a talking dog. And with your talent, I'm sure we can find you a gig in the circus. Dog says, the circus? What does a circus want with a plumber? Okay, back to our story. Six months later, Ms. Hode and Logan the dog and happy couple seem to be happy. Hode said the last straw for her before marrying the retriever was dating a man that she met online only to find out that he was already married. She decided Logan was faithful and would never break her heart. I think Hode learned the great secret that Mark Twain once shared. If you pick up a starving dog and make him prosperous, he will not bite you. That is the principal difference between a dog and a man. <laughs> well, we wish Ms. Hode and Logan a happy half-year anniversary. And many more long walks in the parks by moonlight and dog biscuits in bed. But only for Logan. 
Okay, <clears throat> all right, finally tonight, we thought we'd wrap things up with some classic news headlines that just missed the mark of their intention, like maybe by a mile. Take this headline from a doctor's advice column. Starvation can lead to health hazards. <laughs> yeah, I'd say so. Or how about international headlines that are all wet? Like this one noting the nation of China using the seas to hide their submarines. <laughs> yeah, not exactly naval innovation, but definitely poor copywriting. And then there was the poor criminal who was apparently charged for everything. <laughs> Just imagine his sentencing if he's convicted. Or do our Canadian friends remember the time the issue on marijuana was sent to a joint committee? <laughs> the Toronto Star certainly remembers it because they printed it. And let's close with what every American knows. Four out of 10 of us hates math in the good old USA. And apparently, that's a majority. <laughs> well, better luck to you headline writers out there. And here's hoping your copy editors are a little more on the ball in the future. All right, just like a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, we got to get out of here. But never forget, we read the news. Well, as one half of the duo Big and Rich, my next guest became big and rich and one of country music's top stars. He's also a successful businessman, a tireless supporter of America's veterans, and starting in February, he's going to be the star of his own series called The Pursuit on Fox Nation Streaming. Would you please welcome the one and only John Rich. Hello, John. Governor. Great having Good you here, you, sir. Friend. Delighted you're here. Good to be here. I'm very anxious to hear about this new series you're going to be doing on Fox Nation called The Pursuit. What is that about? Well, it's something I've always said, Governor, is that the Constitution does not guarantee us the right to be happy. It guarantees us the right to pursue happiness. Ah. And the fact that we're allowed to pursue happiness should inherently make us happy. Think of all the people around the world that woke up today in a country that does not guarantee them the right to pursue happiness. They're just as talented as you are or anybody in this room, but they're not allowed to exhaust their potential. Think of the things we've missed out mm. on. Think of the music we haven't heard. Think of the medical breakthroughs that have never happened. Human beings are human beings. God created each and every one of us and gave us a lot of potential. But in America, we're allowed to exhaust that potential under the right of pursuing happiness. So I'm gonna sit people down who've done incredible things with their lives, who have exercised their right to pursue happiness. We're gonna hear all about their stories and inspire other Americans and people around the world to go after the American dream. You know, somebody I know that uh, certainly fits that bill, somebody who has pursued happiness and made it happen, is a guy, his name is John Rich. <laughs> well, you'd be no, right. No, you seriously, right. John, I think about your life. Sure. Um, a lot of people don't know your background. I mean, you grew up out in West Texas. You didn't grow up rich and connected. Tell us a little right. about the John Rich that they may not know. Sure. So my dad's a, a, a preacher. Uh, my dad's a, he's one of them fire and brimstone guys. So <laughs> he never was able to like preach in a big church and have a salary and stuff like that. He's more of a guy that preaches at the prisons. Yeah. Uh, he went to 32 Mardi Gras in a row and preached on the street in the French Quarter. And lived to tell about and it. lived to tell about it, barely. I mean, it was wild. And my, my dad's whole thing was, hey, 
that's what I know I'm supposed to do, but I'm gonna make sure that we got plenty to eat and we might have, a car might have a dent in it, but the car's shiny. Mm. You know, you might live in a double wide trailer in Texas, but the yard's cut. My dad did all kinds of jobs. Hard work's never been a problem for us. Matter of fact, there's a lot of integrity that goes along with hard work. Yes, there is. I think people that don't work hard don't have as much peace at the end of the day. I think you're right. Well, you've worked very hard. You've been very successful. Most people know you as a singer, but the songwriter part of John Rich, you've written, obviously, your own songs that have been incredibly successful, but you've written for the biggest names in the business. Mm. You've made them rich uh, <laughs> because of the songs you've written. Is it more fulfilling to you to write a song and see some other artist make it big with it? Or is it still a great joy when you're able to record that song, it becomes a hit, and the cha-ching goes to the John Rich Bank account? <laughs> well, well, I can tell you, being an artist myself, anytime you record a song and put it out there, buddy, that's a gamble. Yeah. Every single time. Because it's either going to hit or it's not. And it's going to have direct impact on you. So when another artist will take something that I created and say, this is what I'm betting on, it's the greatest compliment that mm. could ever happen to me. And I've always said songwriting is the ultimate pulling the rabbit out of the hat because you have a blank sheet of paper. You ever thought about this? A blank sheet of paper is the most boundless thing and potentially powerful thing opportunity for a person ever. The Constitution of the United States started off with what? Blank sheets of paper. Mm -hmm. So did the Bible, by yeah, the way. Yeah. And so do songs and so do pretty much everything that we base our society on. Starts out with a blank sheet of paper and a human being being inspired to put something on it. And I wanted to ask you a question, by the way. If ask okay. away. I, I know it's his show, but can I ask him a question? Okay. Well, why not? <laughs> now, this is, some, this is something that has, has, I think it's a terrible comment, and I think it's something that this country needs to figure out how to resolve, and that is this. There's an organization called the CMA. We all see the CMA Awards. Well, the CMA, you know, does a lot of things for people, and they, they wanted to have a program where they put music in the hands of kids who otherwise would not have that opportunity, which is a great thing to do. Great thing. And they invited you to be on the board, but because people on the CMA board disagreed, some of them, not all of them, but some, disagreed with your political leanings and ideas, they ran you out of town on a rail, didn't they, Governor? It was, yeah, I think that's a fair way to say it, um, yeah. And let me, and let but, me tell you, let me tell you well, why that's so disappointing to a country singer. I spent my whole life making country music. You know, music's not supposed to be political. Music is for everybody. Everybody. This is what's wrong with our country right now. Yeah. We have got to start focusing on what we have in common and let that be a bridge over our differences. And if we don't, this is not gonna ever fix itself. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, let me tell you something. You're one of the greatest, most creative people alive today. It is an honor to have you here. Thank you, Governor. Please come back and be with us again. Will do. Thank you, sir. All right, you can keep up with John Rich at BigAndRich.com. Follow him on Twitter, which is a lot of fun, at John Rich. And be sure to subscribe to the Fox Nation streaming service because you're going to want to catch The Pursuit with John Rich coming in February. Well, we've got great reason for you to stick around through the break, and Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you all about it right now. Well, next, Sebastian Gorka's Prescription for America. Later, Brian Tome chooses the aggressive life. And Carla Cook honors her father, the great Sam Cook. On!
Sean Huckabee. From care and shelter in the aftermath of the Australian fires, to warm clothing for Syrian refugees, to rebuilding lives after the destruction of the Bahamas, there's no better way to share your blessings with the broken and hurting than through Samaritan's Purse. Let me encourage you to give them a call or visit their website today. You can make an incredible difference in the lives of those who need it most. My own wife is right now back in the hurricane-ravaged islands of the Bahamas working with Samaritan's Purse crew as a volunteer. She was just there a couple of months ago, and she went back because she has seen firsthand the extraordinary work that Samaritan's Purse is doing. Well, the war drums have quieted this week after President Trump decided not to retaliate against the Iranian regime's missile attacks on a U.S.-controlled air base in Iraq. But is it really over? Could the radical mullahs be planning more strikes on U.S. assets and U.S. troops? To answer those questions is national security expert, former deputy assistant to President Trump, and radio talk show host, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Dr. Gorka, it's an honor to have you here, and I'm going to jump right in. We've had a lot of things going on this week. The biggest thing is um, the president has basically caused Iran to stand down, and now he's put new sanctions on them economically. What happens next? Look, this is something that had to happen long ago. Qasem Soleimani was responsible for the death of at least 603 U.S. servicemen and women. What happens next? We're going to continue to do what we've, do, we've been doing since the president became the commander-in-chief, which is to squeeze very hard on the murderous mullah's regime in Tehran. But let me be very clear about one thing, Governor. The man I worked for is Mr. Trump, and then as his strategist in the White House as President Trump, is not an interventionist. His first reaction is always to bring our boys home. He takes decisive action when he has intelligence of an imminent threat, and, and then we take out our enemies. But right now, the future of Iran, Governor, is up to the Persians in Iran. You would think that uh, Soleimani was some kind of uh, grand international hero to hear the goons at MSNBC and CNN talk about it. Oh. Uh, or as Representative Ilhan Omar, that famous anti-Semite, called him a foreign government employee, a, an official. <laughs> Bernie Sanders said that the president murdered a foreign government mm -hmm. official. It's insanity. I, I didn't come up with it, but it's a very great uh, you know, analogy. If the president of the United States exited the Oval Office and walked down to the Potomac River and proceeded to walk on the water, the media and the insane Democrats would say, look, he can't swim. Whatever he does, it is not good enough for them. In my new book, The War for America's Soul, I went back to the White House. I sat down with the president. I interviewed him for an hour. There's an exclusive chapter in there from the president's mouth directly. And you understand that this man takes one thing seriously above all else, Governor, and that's keeping you, me, our families, and all Americans safe. I know you talk about him in the book, The War for America's Soul, and I want to bring up the book because help our audience understand what is the war on America's soul and how is this president a part of helping fight that war? America did something remarkable three and a half years ago. For the first time in our republic's history, Governor, 
we chose a non-politician, somebody who never served in Washington or in federal or state government to be the commander-in-chief. And he is, he is giving us an opportunity to claw back our nation because we are in a war for the soul of this nation. That's why my book has that title. There has been an 80-year plan to undermine, to sabotage Judeo-Christian Western civilization. And thankfully, we have a man who's turning the tide back. And look what's happened in the last three and a half years. How glorious has it been to be an American right now, Governor? I, I want to talk again about the Iranian situation because the jetliner that was shot down, the Ukrainian jet, most every authority believes that the Iranians accidentally shot it down thinking they were taking out a missile. Right. Um, but there was a CNN commentator the other day who actually talked about that America was responsible. I knew somehow Donald Trump would get blamed for it. And he said they were caught in the crossfire. There was no crossfire. Americans weren't shooting at anybody. We had a, a Democrat congresswoman yesterday who stated that uh, this was a result of collateral damage from President Trump's decision to kill Soleimani. Who are the bad guys in this equation? I mean, seriously, the American president, the American people, the military that took out this heinous terrorist, why are they siding? Why is the media and the Democrat Party siding with those who every Friday in their mosques, governor, shout death to America? I'll give you one example. Iran backed Hezbollah in the Beirut bombings. In the Beirut bombings, governor, 241 Marines were killed. On one day, that is the largest loss of Marine Corps life since Iwo Jima. And now we have people on Capitol Hill and in the media being apologists for the same regime. It is absolutely despicable. But this is how radical the Democrat Party and the fake news industrial complex has become. Well, you do a brilliant job in the book, The War for America's Soul. I hope people will get a copy and read it. It's a fascinating insight into What's happening in this country by someone who has been at the very center of some of the most important decisions of this particular presidency, Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Thanks, Dr. Gorka. You can hear him every day on his radio show, America First, Monday through Friday on Salem radio stations. Just go to sebgorka.com. It is on your screen. Find out which station is closest to you. Also, check out Dr. Gorka's latest book, as we've said, The War for America's Soul. It's available wherever books are sold and on Amazon. Right now, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell you why it is a really good idea for you to stick around for the rest of the show. Coming up, Huck's hero Mike Olson, and later Carla Cook sings the songs of her father, soul legend Sam Cook, on Huckabee. Go to MikeHuckabee.com and sign up for his free newsletter and follow at GovMikeHuckabee on Twitter. And welcome back. Now, breathing, it's as easy as one, two, three, right? Well, unfortunately, that is not the case for thousands of people across America who live in the chokehold of the disease IPF. My Huck's hero tonight has made it his mission to inspire and support those caught in its grasp. Watch. I 
IPF is idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. Idiopathic meaning no known cause, pulmonary, your lungs, and uh, fibrosis is scarring uh, of the lungs. I was um, getting a lot of headaches, the shortness of breath, and uh, very fatigued. Well, it didn't take very long, probably like six months, I was really short of breath. And I thought, there's something wrong. So I went back to the pulmonologist, and he said, we're, we're going to have to do an open lung biopsy and get a piece of your lung. It came back, and uh, it was definitive that it was IPF. So I asked him, so what do I do? Do I take medicine? You know, he goes, no, this is a terminal uh, diagnosis. The prognosis is three to five years. It was pretty devastating to get that kind of news. I have three choices, and I always tell everybody. I can wake up, Jesus can appear to me in my room and say, here's a new set of lungs, and we're done. The other option is a transplant. And my third option, I might die from this disease. Please welcome our Huck's hero tonight, Mike Olson. Mike, we're so happy to have you here. Yeah, Thank you. Appreciate it. You had IPF, yes. idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis. It's yes. a long, long disease name. Yes. What does it do to your body? What it does is uh, it creates a stiffening of the lungs, uh, the lung tissue, and uh, eventually uh, honeycombs the lungs where they just start dying, and uh, there's no uh, cure at all. And the only option they give you is uh, there's a few drugs out there that'll slow down the progression a little bit, but not heal it. And so the only option uh, they give patients is a double lung transplant. How long does a person, from the point of diagnosis, have this disease before it finally just smothers them? Uh, between two and five years is the uh, statistics of uh, uh, when patients are first diagnosed, that's what they're told by their physicians that, uh, to get your affairs in order. And, uh, and that's what I did. And uh, uh, I waited five years on a transplant list. And wow. I, I got it in the nick of time. Just keep my angels busy. Uh, <laughs> you must have been very, very ill by the time you were able to get the lung transplant. I, I, in fact, uh, it, I was at what they call the end stage of uh, pulmonary fibrosis. And uh, if I hadn't gotten that call, uh, I would have died. Mm. You know, and so it was actually the five-year mark <laughs> uh, was the day before I got the call. Wow. Yeah. Now, there's some story that you were able to sing with Dennis Quaid and his band, The yeah. Sharks. <laughs> yes. What I... in the world is that? How did that happen? Well, I started reaching out to politicians and celebrities yeah. because I wanted to, people to know about this. IPF is killing as many as breast cancer now. Really? And no one knows about No it. one knows that. So uh, I, I, I kind of Googled Dennis Quaid because he knew Marlon Brando, and Marlon Brando had IPF. Huh. And so uh, Dennis, out of the blue, his guitar player called me and said, would you like to sing with Dennis Quaid on stage? I'm like, sure. And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm a minister. What am I going to sing? <laughs> so he goes, how about a whole lot of shaking going on? I'm like, yeah, that kind yeah, of that'll work. That'll yeah. work. Why not? So Why I not? sang a whole lot of shaking going on with Dennis last. That's uh, awesome. Last year. When did that happen? Uh, at the Burrell Theater in Lexington, Kentucky, last year. That's fantastic. And I, I dragged my oxygen tank on stage and 
sang my little heart out. Mike, you're helping a lot of people. And you know, I, I admire you. And one of the reasons we wanted you to be our Hux hero, first to bring attention to the disease because most of us have really not heard about it. We had no idea how many people it's affecting in our country, but to let them know there's hope. Yes. And the guys like you are helping others uh, work and walk through the disease in a way that gives them hope. Yeah, and that's why I started the Mike Olson Project Foundation is because I wanted to reach out to patients. You know, when you're first diagnosed, you don't know what to do. So the Mike Olson Project is gonna help with educational materials that they need, a gift bag that it has, I usually wear a mask for protecting myself from bacteria. Yeah. And so that gift Don't bag, get around Keith, please, <laughs> stay away. So we're gonna uh, have a bag, you know, just care, care package just for patients. Uh, so that's one of the things we like to do and, and still go on to, uh, to bring awareness to the disease as well. Thank you so much for what you're doing and for being here. Thank you. I, I think it's fair to say you are a breath of fresh air <laughs> in our culture today. That's right. Mike Olson. Uh, to find out more information and to be a part of the Mike Olson Project, you can find his find foundation on Facebook. It's a great way to help other people make every breath count. Keith, I was just kidding with you, so you don't have to be upset about it. Just go ahead and tell us what's coming up on the show next. That's all I'm asking. No problem. Next, Brian Tome leads Ben on the road less traveled, and Carla Cook celebrates her father, Sam Cook, right here on Huckabee. Well, my next guest is the pastor of Cincinnati's Crossroads Church. It is the third largest church in all of America. But you're just as likely to find him riding motorcycles out in the wilderness, challenging himself and other men to reconnect with their biblical purpose. He's got a brand new series, Phantom Lake. It premieres on Amazon Prime January the 26th. Would you welcome, please, Brian Tone. Brian, nice to have you here. Mike, great to be here. I've decided after learning about uh, Phantom Lake, this project you're doing, yes, um, you're, you're really gaming the system, brother, because this is all about you riding motorcycles out in Wyoming and you call it a television show. You just I call ride, it ministry, that's what I call it. You're just riding a motorcycle, dude. I know this, this but what uh, fun I'll that must you, be. It was not fun. It was, it was honestly, <laughs> it, seriously, it was the most grueling week of my life. Really? The premise behind it, I, okay. I've done a lot of riding. The premise yeah. behind it was, Let's get nine riders uh -huh. who are not really riders. They've ridden on the street, but get them off-road on a motorcycle. Let's have them camp for six, seven days, and let's go from the bottom of Colorado, the top of Colorado in Wyoming, on dirt, camp the whole time. And I thought it's not a great idea, except <laughs> people were almost dying. I mean, one a day, we're dropping off the trip, and I was stressed. I got a massive cold halfway through because of the stress. I'm looking at my rearview mirror as I'm leading, going... I, I hope no one dies here. It was, it was, um, it was, it was pretty intense. I mean, these were these guys weren't experienced road no. guys. No, 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 no. That was the idea. The idea was to push people. Many people want to do adventures like hiking or riding motorcycles or jumping out of airplanes. That's fine. That's fine. But really, the real adventure is stuff like keeping your marriage together. Yeah. Getting over your addiction. Starting a new marriage. Starting new practices with your kids. And I believe if we push ourselves in these physical adventures it will equip us for the real adventures or mm. moments. So that was my idea to, 
to build into these guys. And well, it's two women and seven guys for, for eight days. That must have been an extra. I, I'm now fascinated, want to watch the whole series when it comes out on Amazon to see how many of those people survive and how many of them beat you up at we, the end of the series. They were, they were mad. They were very, very, we lost. I would have been. We lost, I, I, I don't want to do spoiler <laughs> alerts, but we lost one a day for the first four days. And we lost somebody else the last day. And uh, I mean, I'm pushing them because I'm trying to get them to some place. And uh, they didn't like me for a while, but that's what oftentimes leadership is. You know, Mike, whether it's political leader or a spiritual leader, you're, you're not trying to just keep people happy where they are. You're trying to push them to get them to a new place. That's what I was trying to do. Your pastorate has been very unconventional in that uh, you, you push people to their spiritual heights. This book that you've written, Move, The Man Devotional, yes. it's all about kind of saying, get out of your comfort zone, do something bold. Uh, do people right. respond to that kind of uh, message in ministry? Because it, it's different than saying, just be still, be quiet, pray a lot, and read your Bible. Jesus did not come along for us to think right. He did not come mm. along for us to philosophize right. He came to change how we live our life right here now. And so that's a devotional that um, 66 days, it's something to get you doing something different that day. And oftentimes devotionals, uh, well, I think it's 90% of all books are sold to women. Uh, Christian books are sold to women. Yeah. And so there's not that much out there that speaks a guy's language who really isn't interested in ideas. He wants to know, okay, what am I gonna do today? And that's the heart behind the book. What's the most important thing that Christian men need to be doing that most of them are not doing? The most important spiritual discipline for a man is friendships. It's not Bible, it's not prayer, it's friendships. Loneliness is killing American men right now. Men are mm. four times more likely to die of suicide than are women. We are four times more likely to have alcohol-related incidences. We are two times more likely to have mental illness. And I think it traces back to our loneliness. Most guys do not have a genuine friend. They think they do because they work with a guy, but as soon as they leave that job, they leave that friendship. And guys are lonely, they're isolated, and, uh, and it's not good, it's killing us. I hope people will respond to uh, Phantom Lake. It debuts on Amazon Prime January 26th. And to learn more and to get Brian's book, this latest one's called Move, The Man Devotional. You can visit briantome.com. Follow him on Facebook at Brian Tome Books and Instagram at Brian Tome. And speaking of real men, Keith Bilbrey is just the man we need to tell us what's coming up on the show. Keith, take it away. Well, coming up, we honor the music of soul legend Sam Cooke with his daughter, Carla. Huckabee's back in just 60 seconds. And welcome back to the show. Now, my next guest is the youngest daughter of the legendary soul singer, Sam Cooke. Today, she's a popular singer on her own, singing in the soulful vocal styling of her father. She is amazing, and I'm so excited to introduce her to you, Carla Cooke. Carla, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> I told our studio audience before we started the show, they are in for a treat. It is amazing to hear you, and I hear the power of your father's voice in you. And you were only, what, four months old when he passed away? I was just four months old. I was born in August, 
and he passed away in December. So you never even got to really know him at all? No. What did you know of him as you were growing up as a child? Wow, that's so funny. Um, I just got stories told to me by my mom. I, I used to like sit in my room in the corner and just listen to his music on uh, cassette tape. Mm. Cassette tape, <laughs> Back then. yep. I had one of those, that's <laughs> If you'd have said eight track, I'd have said, yeah, I know about those too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you, you heard his music. Did you want to be a singer from the time you were little? I did. I pretty much grew up in the church, just like my father did. Ah. That's where I got all my vocal training from. That's so true for so many people, especially, I think, um, you know, who, who have had an opportunity to go to church. They sing in a choir. Mm -hmm. They are given solo opportunities. And I'm thinking of, you know, dozens of, of major singers whose careers were launched yes. in the church. And that's for you the same thing. The same thing for me, yes. Remember the first thing you ever sang? Um, my first solo was God is Truly Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was about, I think, I believe I was 12 years old. Wow. And I did that. Denise Williams. Mm. You were touring with a, a wonderful experience called the Sam Cooke Experience Tribute. Yes. Where all are you uh, touring? Oh, we tour all over. I've been to Maine, uh, California, uh, Chicago, where my father is from, mm. uh, Michigan, so many different states. Uh, you know, I'm already trying to figure out wherever she's going to be singing, I want to come to hear her. <laughs> I mean, I get to play. I know. But I'll come <laughs> because I'm just uh, so grateful for your powerful voice and your sweet spirit. It's just Thank a delight you. to have you here, Carla. Thank so you. So when you come, will you play as well? Absolutely. Okay. Carla, I tell people I'll, I'll play bass at the drop of a hat and will drop my own hat when it's necessary. <laughs> well, as Carla and I get ready to play, Keith Bilbrey is going to tell all of our audience how they can get more of her music, and you will want to. You can find concert schedules for the Sam Cooke Experience Tribute as well as the latest on Carla's music at CarlaCook.com. That's Cook with an E at the end of it, CarlaCook.com. And don't miss Carla's performance of the Sam Cooke classic Cupid after the show on Huckabee.tv. She does a beautiful rendition in the spirit of her father's work. Now, here to sing the hit song, you Send Me, written by Sam Cooke, is Carla Cook. You do, honest you do, 
Ooh, it's lasted so long. 